Hello and welcome to Crosstalk with your hosts, Martha Lee and Anna May, a podcast dedicated to encouraging and pointing people to Christ, to provoke you to find your calling in the Lord, brought to you by Cornerstone Ministries New Life Church. So join us on a journey to reaching the world for Christ, starting in our own backyard. So sit back, we hope you enjoy the podcast, and we pray it encourages and blesses you. Well, welcome to Crosstalk. Today we have the pleasure of having Bill Williamson from Canada, and he's going to share with us his testimony. So we're going to get started. My Uncle Bill has a question for you. Bill, welcome. Welcome. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. Here's the question. When did you get saved and where? And what brought you to the decision of accepting Jesus as Savior? Amen. Amen. Well, first I remember being saved. I grew up in Western Canada, and I remember having a conversation with my mom about what a born-again Christian was, and she was explaining to me about being saved, and she asked me, you know, is this something you would like to do? I was about 10 or 11 years old. And I said, yeah, I'd like to be saved. I want to go to heaven. So we said the sinner's prayer, and she told me, you know, to take it serious, and, you know, now that I brought God into my life, you know, to, uh, you know, to take it serious. Unfortunately, in truth, I didn't really take it serious. I just felt like I did it, and that had me covered. And as I got older, I wanted to live in the world. And I felt like the world had more to offer than Christianity did. It was foolish uh, at the time. But I felt like it was impossible for Bill Williamson to be a Christian and succeed in life. That was my thinking. Uh, so I always believed in God. I rarely went to church. I didn't read my Bible very much. But for some reason, I had this thinking that because I had said the sinner's prayer, that I was a born-again Christian and I was saved, even though I didn't do anything very christian So... Last year, uh, I got diagnosed with cancer, and I started to think about life in a different different mindset. And I remember thinking, you know, uh, I need to take Christianity way more serious. And I would say I truly got saved last fall in Joel Osteen's church. We went to a service, and at the end of his service, he asked uh, if anybody would like to stand up and be saved to stand up and say this uh, prayer with him. And he said, even if you feel like you are saved and you've fallen back, you should still stand up. And that's kind of where I felt like I was. I felt like I was trying to be a Christian, but I was also trying to succeed in life. And I felt like it was so much easier to succeed uh, by not being a Christian, doing the doing the bad tricks. Amen. Um so to answer your question, I feel like I honestly, if I'm being honest, I didn't get saved until last year. Uh, and now I realize that all the foolish thinking I had for 48 years, you know, I didn't have to uh, live in the world to succeed. Uh, all I had to do is give my life to the Lord, 
and God would take care of me. And I see that every day since more and more the stronger and stronger faith. That was beautiful. That kind of answers the question. Amen, brother. That was beautiful, Bill. Well, now we'd like to ask you if you would not mind sharing about this journey you've been on this year and because it's been supernatural of how God's took you through this. Sure. So November 3rd of last fall, I got a call from my doctor. I had some pain in my chest, and she thought I had maybe uh, gallstones or something wrong with my gallbladder. So they gave me an ultrasound. She gave me a call on November 3rd and said, Bill, it doesn't look like it's anything to do with your gall. She says, it looks like you have some masses on your liver, on your pancreas, your lymph nodes, and on your spine. She said, it's very serious, and it doesn't look very good. So we went to the doctor, um, surgeon, and he confirmed what my doctor had said. He said, I'm going to get your CT scan. And he said, we'll go from there. So we did the CT scan. We met back up with him. And he said that I needed to do some biopsies and some other tests to be completely sure. But he felt he was 100% confident that I had pancreatic cancer stage four. And he said at that time, by the time I got through the rest of my tests and got the biopsy with the results, I most likely wouldn't be here. Uh, at the time, he said I had a 1% chance of living 90 days. And he said it would take longer than 90 days in Canada to do all the tests. So what they offered me at that time was palliative care and just to be comfortable. He said by Christmas, I would be bedridden. And sometime in the new year, most likely in February, I would be gone. And that was a lot to take in uh, because I felt healthy. Uh, prior to this, I was going about my life the same as everyone else. Uh, wasn't even thinking about cancer. And I couldn't believe it. It was like a truck hit me. And I remember talking to my wife when we first uh, heard about it and telling her and looking at her eyes. And uh, I couldn't believe we were having that conversation. And what made it more surreal was I can't believe we were having a conversation that they couldn't help me. Uh, they just kept telling me every doctor we went to, we went to three different doctors in Canada. They just gave us worse and worse news. They would talk about things like palliative uh, care, um, assisted suicide. They really tried to coerce us uh, last fall and, and also this spring to look into assisted suicide because it's, I guess, from what I'm told, pancreatic cancer is a very painful death. Um, and I just didn't seem, I just couldn't accept that. Um, and I don't think anybody really could, but I just couldn't accept it that, you know, this is what, how my life was going to end. So I remember saying to Rachel, I said, there's got to be something we can do. If we can't help us here, somebody's got to be able to do something for us. And we talked to a doctor in Canada that, my son played hockey with his son. And I said, Ward, if you were me, what would you do? And he said, I would leave Canada. He said, they're not going to help you here, though. He said, they don't have the, you, you can't get into the system fast enough to get into care for the amount of time you have. And he says, you need to leave and go to some place in America. And he said, if it was me, I would go to a hospital called MD Anderson. Uh, 
And he said, they will help you. He said, it doesn't mean they can perform miracles, but he said, they'll do something for you. So we phoned MD Anderson. Actually, we phoned the Mayo Clinic first, and we couldn't get into the Mayo Clinic. Uh, and then we phoned MD Anderson, and they said they would accept me. Uh, so we got down to Houston, and within four hours, I had all the tests that we're talking about in Canada completed. And I was in a hospital room and I had my biopsy booked. And it was a totally different experience. They didn't talk about death there. They didn't tell me I was going to die there. All they told me was I was in for a tough fight and to be prepared. You know, before I got to the hospital, I had people tell me things like, oh, you won't get in the hospital. Uh, you know, there's a two-month waiting list. Uh, they're not going to take you right away. Uh, you're wasting your time flying down there. You should wait and get everything booked and scheduled before you go down there. But something in my heart told me and my wife that we should just fly down there and walk in the hospital and see what they say. And that's what we did. And I'm glad we did. Amen. So after we got our biopsy done, we didn't get the results we were praying for. Uh, it confirmed that I had stage 4 pancreatic cancer. It was extremely aggressive, and it was spreading fast. Um, so I, at that time, it was American Thanksgiving, and we couldn't do anything at the hospital. They told us to go away for a couple of days, and uh, they'd be in touch as soon as they could. Uh, but they were going to get me in with an oncologist. <clears throat> we left, and we went to San Antonio for, for Thanksgiving. I remember sitting in the hotel room, and I've told this story so many times, but my phone rang, and it was a lady from MD Anderson called me, and she said, Mr. Williamson, could you uh, be at the hospital at 10 a.m. on Monday? And it was four days away. I said, yeah, I can be there. And she said, well, don't miss this appointment. It was extremely difficult to get you this appointment. You've got to be there. I said, I won't miss it. She said, well, you won't get another one if you do miss it. So, so we did. Uh, we, we left San Antonio, and we went into our anacologist. He's a nice man. He's a Christian man. I asked him if he was a Christian. That's extremely important to me. Uh, and he told me he was. He said, no, i got to be your doctor first. He said, you know, I can't tell you what you want to hear. But he says, I do believe in the Lord. And he says, I have two things done that I can't explain. But he said, I, I, I want you to know that I have to be your doctor first. So he asked me some questions, and some of the questions he asked me was, you know, how aggressive did I want to take, you know, how, how aggressive did I want to be with cancer? And I said, I want to be extremely aggressive. I said, I have two kids. My son's 21 and my daughter's 18, but to me, they're my babies. And I said, I have a wife that's only 40, uh, 47 years old. And I said, I, uh, I want to be here for them. And I said, if that takes me, uh, being aggressive, then I'm going to be aggressive. And he said, well, there's three different ways we can treat this right now. And he said, the way I would like to treat it, he says, is what the chemo calls trofluorinox. And they call it Fab 5. And I remember him telling me that there's nothing fabulous about Fab 5. Huh. But he said, if you can do the cycles, they call them cycles. He says, I feel like it's going to give you your best chance to prolong in your life. He said, do I think I can cure you, Bill? No. 
but he says, I think I can get you time. And he said, right now, that's what we're fighting for as much time as we can get you. I said, okay. He said, well, he says, I want you to do 12 cycles. He says, it's very important that we do all 12 cycles. He said, so don't come to me after one or two cycles of treatment and tell me you can't do it no more. He said, because I'm going to tell you right now, it's not fun. I said, no, I'll do it. He says, you tell me what I have to do and I'll do it. I said, somehow or another, the Lord will get me through it. So we did three cycles. I met with them. And they do a tumor marker reading every time I, I do my test, every three months. Uh, so at that time, he did the marker reading. And he said, you know, you're a strange patient. He said, your tumor marker readings for, for pancreatic cancer should be in the thirty to 40,000 unit range. And he said, the highest yours has been is 580 units. He says, I can't say that I see that very often. I said, well, is that a good thing? He said, yeah, it's an extremely good thing. He said, that tells me that the cancer isn't moving as fast now as it was before. Praise God. I said, well, that's good. I, I like that. Praise God. Amen. You know, we've got, we've, got some, we've got some positivity. So the next time I met with him, so at that time he told me, he said, you know, don't expect, though, for this to happen every time we meet. He said it may stabilize and just level out. He said it could continue to decrease, but he said it could also increase, though. And he said, you know, I just don't want you to feel like just because we got good news today, we're going to get good news every time we met. Well, thanks be to God, every time we did meet, I always got good reports. And my markers decreased each and every time. Uh, And now... At my last test, my tumor markers was at 53, and the standard range is 35. Uh, so he told me once I got below 100, not to worry about it no more. Wow. He said, now we just have to fight off your existing cancer. He says, we're not going to worry about you growing new cancer cells. He says, we're in a position where we're just fighting your existing cancer. What a turnaround. And it had continued. Amen. Amen. And it had been going well. I got to about the seventh cycle, and I got sick. And I was throwing up blood, and I got really nervous. I thought, you know, this is this is really shame, uh, throwing up blood. So they took me to the hospital. They hospitalized me for a day or two. And I met another doctor who was a Christian from New York. And I remember him coming in the room, and he's laughing. And I'm looking at this man saying, how can you laugh right now? I'm throwing up blood. You know, what's funny about this? And he says, you got nothing to worry about, though. I said, I got nothing to worry about? I said, I'm throwing up blood. He said, no, you're fine. He says, uh, you burned the lining in your stomach in your uh, esophagus from throwing up. And he said, that's just a little bit of blood from that. He said, uh, you're fine. He said, but why I'm laughing? He says, is the tumor on your pancreas has decreased by 50%. Wow. Said, wow, that's, that's really good. He said, yeah, that bill, that's amazing. That was his words. He said, that's amazing to see that. And he says, it's not something we see very often. And he says, I'm looking back at your chart right now. And he says, each time we do blood work on you, your tumor markers decrease. And he says, I can't say that I've seen that very often. I said, well, I said, I guess I'm a, a unique individual, but I said, I'm, I'm thankful to God. I said, because I give it to God, you know, that this is going the direction it's going. So, we got out of the hospital there. I ended up 
finishing my 12th round of chemo. And I met with my oncologist after the 12th round. And he said to me, you did it. And I said, yeah, it wasn't easy, but I said, we did it. He said, well, he said, there's some first with you, Bill. He said, I don't normally get. And I said, well, what's that? He said, you're one of the only patients I can remember that goes on holiday while they're taking chemo. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you've been on seven holidays, he says, in between your chemo treatments. And I said, well, his name's Dr. Smagel. I said, Dr. Smagel, to be honest with you, I said, I take the chemo on Thursday, and I take the bag off on Sunday, and I said, I just want to go away for the next 10 days, and then I start again. I said, I, I, I don't want to sit in this house and just think about the next treatment. I said, you know, I want to go away with my kids. And then I said, I don't know how much time I have. I never did know how much time I have. But I said, I just want to go away with my kids. So that's why I did that. He said, well, that's pretty good. He said, most people, he says, don't go on holiday on chemo. And he said, on Fulfloranox, he says, I didn't think anybody would go on holidays. So we laughed about that. It was kind of funny. But that was just my way of dealing with what I, what was in front of me. And then he says to me, uh, he says, you told me you had four haircuts, which is Uncle Billy McKenzie's favorite. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I had four haircuts. And he says, you know, that's, he says, I'm not saying that's totally unusual, but he says, it's kind of funny. He says, that you, you know, that, that you're getting your haircut. And he said, the most impressive stat, he said, that I've seen is that on your last three treatments, that they weigh you before you go in for each treatment. He says, you've gained 14 pounds on your last three treatments. And he said, most people would be losing weight, especially towards the end of their treatment, he said, because they're really, really weak. I said, well, I do feel weak, but I said, my wife's a good cook. And I said, I really enjoy eating her food. And he laughed. Uh, and he said, you know, it's amazing. He says, I remember you telling me the first day we met that you used to being against the odds. And I said, well, I was. I said, you know, when you told me that this was, you know, an a unrealistic goal, I said, I can, I can accept that. I said, because everything I've ever did in my life, and I said, most people that's in my family or that I know are in the same position, I said, I'm uneducated. I have no job. I said, my job is what I make it. And I gave him a whole list of things. I said, but at the end of the day, I'm here. And I said, me and my family's living a pretty good life. And I said, everybody told me that, you know, for where I'm at and what I am, it shouldn't work. You know, you need an education in this world. You need stable income. Uh, you know, you, you got to have job security. I, I've never had any of these things. Uh, I said, so when you tell me that the odds are against me, I said, that's where my comfort zone is. I said, I, we laugh. I said, me and my, my cousin Jim, if we were at the gas station and somebody told us that we weren't going to work that morning, we would laugh at them. Uh, because we know that we will, even though we don't know where we're going to get that work or what what amount of money it is or what the job is, we know we're going to do something. And he, he just, he didn't understand that, but we understand that. Amen. Amen. Uh, God. Uh, so my thinking behind that is it doesn't really matter what man tells you or a woman. It's all in God's hands. Amen. And Amen. We, we know that God has a plan for us. And I know that God has a plan for me. And I finally, my eyes has opened up and I look at the world completely different. You know, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that it took me getting sick to take the Lord serious. Uh, but in reality, it did. 
uh, I don't think there's any bad time to come to God. I, I don't read anywhere in the Bible where it says it's a long day or a long time to come to God. Uh, you know, today is the day for anybody. Uh, but I just wish my circumstances would have been different. Uh, but it took me being sick to open my eyes up and understand, you know, that I need the Lord in my life. And uh, that's all that really matters, you know. Uh, all the things that I thought were important, like money and parks. And there's a lot of silliness in my life that I thought was really, really important. Uh, and I strive for it and I worked hard for it. Uh, and I realize now that, you know, it really isn't that important. Your health is important, obviously. Your family's important to you. And the love of the Lord should be important to you. Uh, and I think if you have that, you're a wealthy man, and I feel like you've lived, lived a good life. Amen. Amen. You know? uh, I've said this a lot of times in my testimony. Uh, uh, a lot of kids will come to people that think, you know, they think if you've done something good in life, they want to ask you and talk to you and ask you questions. I have kids that will come up to me and say, you know, what's your best investment? Not so much now, but over the years, they've come a lot. And they say, you know, Uncle, you know, out of all the parts you've got, or out of all the things you've done, you know, what was the best investment? What did you do that was the best? And I would give them all kinds of stupid answers, never thinking that the real answer is, you know, give your life to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, when they ask me that question, I tell them the best investment that Bill Williamson ever made is giving his life to the Lord. Amen. And I don't think that that's the reply they're looking for. But I just hope that it, at some point, if not that at that moment, they realize that that is the honest truth. The best investment any man or woman can make is giving their life to the Lord. Amen. Uh, Amen. I'm, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity, and the Lord gave me the opportunity uh, to turn my life around. Uh, because, you know, a lot of people diagnosed with what I was diagnosed with, it goes so fast that they may not get the opportunity. I'm not sure. But speaking for myself, I'm glad that I got the opportunity to give my life truly to the Lord and to serve the Lord. Amen. Praise God. That was beautiful, Bill. Really touching. And now your markers is at a really good level, aren't they, right now? Yeah, the last time we, we were tested was at 53, and the standard range is 35. So, you know, he told me anything under 100 anime is yeah. uh, nothing to worry about. At that point, you don't worry. But he also told me that, you know, that's not something they normally see. Um, so my last, uh, yeah, yeah, oh, praise God. Yeah. Uh, and it's only God that can do this. And, you know, right. it's hard to get doctors to say that, but you can see it in their face that they can't explain it. Because I'll ask them, I'll say, like, how does my marker drop 36%? off of conventional chemo. I'm on a chemo pill right now, uh, which is just supposed to stabilize everything. I said, but my, my cancer is decreasing. I said, how does that work? And he couldn't answer it. He just kept looking at me and saying, you know, it is unique. Uh, that's something we see all the time. <clears throat> and he kept saying, be grateful. I said, oh, I'm extremely grateful. I said, right. can you tell me, you know, why this is happening? Amen. I said, other than the Holy Spirit and the Lord. Amen. And he's like, well, no, I know you have, I know you have strong faith. I said, well, yeah, you have to have strong faith. Uh, but I said, the Lord's working in me. And I said, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm not just grateful, I'm thankful. Yes, amen. Uh, so, well, I'd like to ask you this, Bill. Just, 
if uh, somebody's listening and they're going through something similar or sickness or whatever, and you know how it really wears on everybody, your nerves and all, what kind of advice would you give them if they're going through something like this? I would say, you know, if you don't know the Lord, to get right with the Lord, uh, first and foremost. Uh, I mean that in honesty, because he's the only one that's going to give you comfort. He's the only one that's going to answer the questions and give you comfort. Secondly, I would say don't be scared. Uh, There's nothing to be scared about. You know, you're going to get victory one way or the other. I'll speak for myself. I know that I'm going to have victory one way or the other. I pray that it's in the land of the living. But I know I'm going to have victory either way. And, uh, but I would say don't be scared. I don't believe that's of God. Fear is not of God. Amen. Uh, and I would, I would also say that, you know, I believe in medicine. I, I, I think God has the ultimate say. I believe in medicine. And I, I think he should do. I, I've talked to a few people and they'll say, you know, I wasn't strong enough. I didn't want to go through with the last week. I, I think you should do it. And you're, you're stronger than you think. Amen. You know, I didn't think I was strong enough. I remember fighting with my wife in bed and saying, I don't want to go. Don't make me go. Because it made me feel terrible. And I knew exactly how I was going to feel. Amen. And she would say, no, you have to go. And I would think about it and say, no, I, you're right. I, I owe it to, to my kids. I got to go. So we would go. But you're stronger than you think. You think you can't do it, but you can. Amen. You know, Amen. And never give up hope, guys. I've been told so many times, seriously, you know, that I'm going to die. I, I, I couldn't even count at this point how many doctors have told me, even though I've had good results, you know, it's just a matter of time you're going to die. And my answer to that is, well, that's always been the case. Hey, man, we're gonna at some die point in time, time, I was always going to die. Exactly. You know, and I didn't know the time and date then, and I don't know the time and date now. In God's hands, but, amen. You know, amen. Amen. You know, so I don't know if that's really really a perfect answer, but it's the best I can do. No, it's a good uh, answer. You know, I, I, it's a good answer. I would say get right with the Lord. And, and you know, I, I don't even think you need to be sick, obviously, for that. I think everybody should get right with the Lord and take it serious because we don't know the time and place. Amen. Well, the last time I was with you, Bill, when we were up in Canada at Mary Ann's, you didn't look like a sick guy to me. I'm going to be honest with you. We broke some bread and we well, laughed no. and had a beautiful time together. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been extremely blessed. Uh, I would go as far to say that most people wouldn't know I was sick unless I told them. Amen. Uh, you know, and, and to tell them that that's yeah, absolutely. I've been blessed. Uh, I get, you know, I I wonder at night sometimes. I think about why I was blessed because when I was in Texas, I used to sit up at night and think, you know, what have you done to be blessed? You know. And I can't really answer that. I would love to say, you know, that I went to missions and I did all these. I didn't do any of them things. Uh, uh, I didn't even give God the praise that he deserved because I've always been blessed in my life. We've always lived a good life. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'm not really sure why I was blessed, but I've been extremely blessed in my life. I'm, I'm grateful. And I want to serve the Lord. I think I said that to you and Charlie before. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what I can do in ministry, but I want to do something, and I want to serve the Lord. I want the Lord to know that I'm grateful and thankful, because I am. 
Well, if you're willing, he'll open a door for you. You know that, Bill. And I got to tell you, you've really inspired me today. You've touched my heart. And uh, I think your testimony is going to touch many people. We appreciate you taking the time to come on and and talk to us from your heart. And you know we love you, and and you're always in our prayers. And we want to thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for for Rachel. We're asking in your kids, and uh, we'll be calling you, and hopefully fellowshipping soon again. Amen. Down the pike. You know it. You know it. It was really nice to uh, nice of you to have me uh, speak, and thank you very much. And it was nice to talk to you again, Uncle Bill. Pray, pray for you. Uh, I hope everything goes well. Uh, everything's going well for you guys, too. Thank you. Amen. God bless. Amen. Well, that's our podcast for this week. We hope you enjoyed it and was encouraged. Please follow us on Spotify for new episodes every week. If you download the Spotify app, which is free, it makes it much easier to find us. We'll be posting the link each week on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may you grow in his word and spirit. God bless.